Hello and welcome to The New Conspiracist, the podcast that tries to get to the bottom of the moon landings, whether Kubrick was involved, whether JFK was actually assassinated by Oliver Stone, not Lee Harvey Oswald, and whether Avril Lavigne was replaced by a body double. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the intellectual weight behind my fluff. It's James Ball. How are you, Jamesy? Sir, I'm good. It's uh, unlike fairly recent podcast recordings. I'm not high while doing this, so I can only apologise to the audience for doing a podcast sober. Yeah, have you been getting sued this week? Or I've had a pretty easy week this week. What's your week been like? It's uh, actually directly before recording this, I was uh, doing a Zoom call with a major international publication for my day job, and the uh, cat vomited on the desk. <laughs> like, really, really strong professional vibes there, right? So look, before we uh, before we get into the conspiracy theory uh, that we're covering this week, we uh, you know I'm super excited to um, be introducing our guest. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. He's a man who has um, sort of I guess constantly reaffirmed my faith in humanity in the face of overwhelming uh, odds, particularly recently. Um, He's a documentary maker, he's a public speaker, he's an author, and he's a bloody good guy. Welcome to the podcast, Hassan Akkad. How are you, Hassan? I'm well, man. Thank you very much for this uh, very nice intro. <laughs> You've had a memorable pandemic, wouldn't you yeah. say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't yeah, been yeah. a particularly quiet time for yeah. you. No, it hasn't. No. So let's let's just let's just explain to the audience what's been going on because what you decided to do. I mean, we'll come on to the you, you know your background because obviously you're 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 from Syria and you made a very perilous journey over here. We'll come on to that later, but you decided to just <laughs> have a quiet pandemic and um, decided to go and work as a cleaner in the COVID ward of Whips Cross Hospital yeah. during the pandemic. <laughs> I did. <laughs> For, Are you mental? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, not, not really. I mean, I, I, I'm a bit mad, yes, but I'm not mental. But uh, the, the, the decision was purely because I couldn't sit down and not do anything having uh, gone through crisis before. So yeah. um, I moved to England five years ago now having fled like my war-torn country and I in my in my mind Britain is safe you know nothing's going to happen here but then when I saw that it's actually happening there's a pandemic there's this invisible virus which is like threatening everyone's lives I couldn't I couldn't sit I couldn't stay at home and not do anything so I I, I volunteered to work at the hospital yeah and, yeah it was pretty intense and you said to me that you you sort of had a feeling almost before the public, you know, when everyone yes. was looking at sort of memes of, of, yeah, of stuff yeah. in China. Yeah, when, when, when everyone was still posting memes about Yuhan, um, uh, my radar, you know, my crisis radar was up and running. And I, I had a feeling that it was going to happen here. And then I started seeing signs, which were quite triggering, to be honest, but also signs that shit is about to hit the fan, like um, yeah. the, the, the front pages the, um, the the slowly queues building up outside shops, um, stockpiling. So I, I knew it was it was going to be very real, and I was really anxious and quite paranoid, to be honest. I almost lost my mind. I was like, "What do I do? What do I do? I, I, I there's no way that I could stay at home and and not do anything about it." So I started by delivering food for people isolating, and then mm-hmm. I saw this job post where um, 
because the virus could survive on some surfaces for up to two weeks and loads of NHS workers were in contracting the virus, they wanted to uh, um, hire more cleaners. So they make sure to make sure the hospitals are like... Um, disinfected on, on like 24 seven. And, uh, that's that they put a call out hiring cleaners and I, I, I took it and then I started the job on April 1st. And it was, and then from there, life just went crazy, didn't yeah. it? Cause I mean, you were doing your day job of, of cleaning these wards, but when you weren't, you, you <laughs> became Piers and Susanna's best new friend. I became the BFS with Piers. Always the, good. The Greta Thunberg of COVID nineteen. <laughs> 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 I started seeing people at hospitals, working hospitals, posting selfies and just to show the, just to show the marks of their PPE on their faces. And I was, I didn't want to post about this because I didn't want to seem like an attention-seeking individual. But then I, because I work in advocacy and like it's, it's for the past four years, everything I've been working around, like is about sending a positive message about the contribution, contribution of migrants and refugees to their host communities. I was like, no, maybe I should share my story and it will be positive. So I did put, I, I put a mirror selfie from the toilet I was disinfecting in the hospital and, and it went viral. And, um, I started, yeah, I started, I started <laughs> like being on, on TV almost every day. I, I it was crazy. I was the only cleaner maybe in the nation who had two PAs just <laughs> <laughs> helping me like just plan um, interviews and write op-eds and like doing all sorts of stuff. What I like is that Britain loved the NHS so much that even hospital porters have uh, personal assistants. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was not, by the way, um, uh, uh, funded by the taxpayers. This was from my own pocket. So we don't oh, I love the idea that the NHS Fun. Uh, do you want to be a quick cleaner in which cross hospital? Would you like one PA or two? Which, which works best for you? It was uh, really busy, like because I was just on on TV talking about you know like why I did took this job and then also highlighting because I, the word I worked on the, uh, my colleagues were from ten over like over ten countries. Um, uh, so I was just highlighting the country, like just talking about my ward and then basically talking about like the, the, the what migrants do in, in this country and what, how, how much like they add value and, um, things also escalated when I uh, heard that they, ex ex uh, they, 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 they released the bereavement scheme scheme and they excluded people from like cleaners and mm. porters. So I put a video out on Twitter addressing Boris Johnson about this and then, got picked up like 5 million views and then that they did insane. a U-turn. Yeah. So things also blew up from there because I, I, the story was a Syrian refugee working as a, clean, a cleaner in a hospital to Syrian refugee working as a cleaner in a hospital, which first, who forced a government U-turn. So yeah, yeah it, it was a bit mad. <laughs> now, we're, not, we, we, we're not actually covering this as the conspiracy theory in the, the, this show, because we're going to talk about this specific one. But I do want to ask you, because you were at the forefront of this, but also because I know you know, you attended just to see and to talk some sense to people, one of these, you know, anti-lockdown protests and heard a lot of the kind of COVID yeah. conspiracy theories. What do you think that was about? What was driving that? James had written a book about po the, the, the post-truth world. Like, mm. what, was, what was the book called, James? Your book? So it was called Post-Truth, How Bullshit Conquered the World. Yeah. Thank you for the plug opportunity. <laughs> did he ask you to plug that before? Was he texting you before? He did not. He's just a gentleman. Unbelievable. <laughs> but this 
this is exactly what happened. We live in a post-truth world. And, and, and you read a post on Facebook that was shared by your aunt and you think it's true. You don't cross reference or cross check that and and uh, I, I met people in these marches who said that bill gates want to forcibly inoculate everyone or um a, p- people who genuinely believe that this is a a 5g um thing like they want it's 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 it's, it's mad and what, the, the the reason behind this i think it's, it's we've always had this like uh during the spanish flu people believed in 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 uh in, in conspiracies like in every pandemic there were these conspiracies about mm-hmm. about the pandemics and it's not it's not so it's not new but it's it, it kind of exploded now and like there are marches and thousands of people think this marches because of social media and because of how how fast you can get retweeted if you are posting something controversial without any uh, like background checks or, yeah. or fact checking so yeah it's 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 a bit mad and, so and, fact, fact checking is very 1999 yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah rationalism is dead man it's not yeah. the, it's not the new thing i was working i was still working at the hospital when i went to that march and i genuinely uh, wished like if if any country could organize like uh, hospital tours for people who believe in in, in this yeah. in, in these things and take them into to to because you can't walk into an ICU during the peak of the pandemic and say this is fake when you see everyone is on ventilators and you see people from different age groups because I saw people in their thirties on ventilators and I saw like um, when I started working in the hospital there were people in corridors it was wow. pretty intense and it seems like we're heading towards that way now yeah but but yeah it's it's just lack of infam- like, i don't know man it's it's frustrating you know, when, you were, when you were growing up um what were you what were like what was your kind of entry-level conspiracy theories because most people are into this stuff we all enjoy a good conspiracy theory back home kind of everyone believed that 9-11 was an inside job mm. and um <laughs> I, I i got so it's, it's not a conspiracy there it's just that's that's the received wisdom is yeah it? <laughs> yeah no no it's, it's it's not a conspiracy it's this is how it's this is how it gets told that it was an inside job. They did it to themselves. And I got, I got sucked into that, to be honest. I, I like, I got sucked into this rabbit hole of watching YouTube videos and like just go, being on forums, re- reading about it. And, and it's, it's mad. Like it's really like it, from, from my state, I could tell you that I almost believed in it. Like, did to, you watch, uh, did you watch Zeitgeist? I did watch Zeitgeist. Yeah. That's like the classic that's come out during. Exactly. It's like it's if we did like the top ten golden oldie YouTube yeah. videos. That has been mentioned so many times <laughs> on the podcast. This series is crazy. So, yeah. And also, growing up, there was this thing. There was this trend on YouTube of playing music, but in reverse. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, no, how has no one brought this up before? We haven't even talked about that, that yet. Music. Yeah, didn't that, always, didn't that come from the Beatles' Yellow Submarine? Wasn't that the didn't was that the, where it started? I remember, I can't trace it back to who, like where it started from, but like they would play it in reverse and then they would pick the word demon or like triangle <laughs> or Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great Easter egg if you listen to this podcast in reverse as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so listen, let's um, let's have a look at what we're we're going to get into this week as our topic. So James, what is the topic of uh, this week's show? So this this one's a bit of a doozy of a conspiracy theory because uh, a lot of these start in America, but this one doesn't. This is a French conspiracy theory that's now kind of going viral around the world, and it's called the Great Replacement, Ooh. and it's 
a pretty modern conspiracy theory. It's less than 10 years old, and it's hella racist. Yeah, it's one of the ones that ends with Jews and Muslims, isn't it? It's Yeah, well, there's a sort of old version of it that included the Jews, and basically someone excised the Jews from it, made sure it was really about Muslims, uh, and then sort of kicked it into the mainstream. Yeah. Essentially around this idea that there is a deliberate plan to repopulate uh, Europe so that it has a Muslim majority, mm. and then, of course, will enact Sharia law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And quite a lot of it, like a lot of versions of it, say that it's not even the weak version of it is oh well <clears throat> oh well just demographically you know white white christians will be replaced within three or four generations and uh it will be majority muslim the quite common stronger version of it is that it's deliberate repopulation. Yeah. And so people who are moving here sort of, you know, from North Africa or from the Middle East or from other countries are intentionally doing so to displace local populations. This is quite like a bedrock conspiracy theory. Like if you go to any EDL or Britain First or, you know, anything really run by sort of Tommy Robinson or even actually as far back in the day as like when I used to go and film at sort of BMP events with Nick Griffin, this chat was the sort of central tenant of, well, it's obvious. Well, obviously they're coming out here to outbreed us and that, and that is what they're going to do. And then once they do, and this is that where it always goes, they will enact Sharia law and Britain will be run by Sharia law. That's basically it. Abortion and contraception and all of this are secretly backed by some of these Muslim groups because they'll mean fewer white babies. Ah. Uh, like I've even heard versions of it that are like, oh, for now Muslims are nice to the gays because because, you know, that's that's more white people who won't have children. Uh, there's, there's some real extremes of this one. And you were saying it originates in France. Yeah. So this is this is France's big export to the conspiracy theory world. This this one's theirs, but one of the sort of people who helped boost and launch it in North America, you'll be shocked to hear, is Donald Trump. No. Uh, and you know. The, I mean, in the UK, um, sort of people of Muslim background, British Asians is the biggest sort of ethnic minority group. Um, in the US, it's a much smaller minority, and yet he still sort of pushes this. But he kind of weirdly extended it to include Mexico, mm. uh, you know, that famous uh, Muslim bastion. Um, but yeah, he's, he sort of pushes the, the Great Replacement as a, as a US theory, and it's sort of starting to catch on there. But this one is really, it started in France. It spread right across Europe's far right. And as you say, you go to any kind of, you know, EDL, BNP, whatever kind of rally, and even sort of UKIP people, you will hear them spout this sort of deliberate theory that essentially Muslims are deliberately moving to Europe with a bit of essentially colonizing it uh, and just look at the birth rates within three generations between migration and people being born. You know, as if if you're a third generation immigrant, as if you're not then essentially a native of that country, um, you know, within within three generations, within 100 years. 
will have been replaced. Oh, good. Well, that's uh, that's good to know. That's that's always a, a positive thing to hear that uh, you know the entire British population will be able to be replaced by a cogent uh, plan to send people out to outbreed us. Has have you ever come across this one before? Oh, of course, yes. I mean, it was 2016, 2015, 2016 when I did the the, the route through Europe to come here with, in the peak of the refugee crisis, and they were. As I was coming here and then like on my way, I was reading loads of articles about like, um, and posts on social media about, um, basically they didn't, it's, it's about the great replacement is, is that mu- Muslims are coming here because they want to start, um, to start Sharia law and, uh, they want to replace us. And like, obviously the whole, the same scenario about benefits and money and like taking our jobs and marrying our women and all of that. But, um, uh, it's. Yeah, I've seen it everywhere, and it's um, it's 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 a bit surprisingly nothing in the literature about COVID cleaning or employing administrative (laughs) assistants, which is slightly misleading. British workers, they're coming over here here to employ administrative staff. It doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does it? I mean, Hass, when you said that this is something that you were sort of picking up on these posts and stuff. How bonkers did that sound to you when it's, you were literally trying to traffic yourself over borders? I think these conspiracy theories, in my opinion, all stem from ignorance and misconception because the, 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 the misconception is that Middle Eastern men, like in their cradle, when they are born, they are told, they are told to move to Europe, to the West, to America. That's, that's what everyone thinks here in Europe and in America. Well, that's not true because... I mean, Europe is a beautiful continent, but it's literally nothing, for, at least for me, compared to the, to, 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 to Syria or to, to, to Damascus, where I'm from. So there is no, there is no, there is no fascination with yeah, let's grow up and move and breed in Europe and take over. This does not exist. I mean, with, with all the respect, I would live in a Damasc in a safe and Damascus over like anywhere else in Europe, and. Um, um, th- th- what what happens basically is that if all these so every, so now I'll name countries for you in in the Middle East where for example Libya Lebanon Syria uh, P- Palestine Iraq they are they're ravaged by wars and uh, um, some of these wars are caused by the West so um, naturally when you can't live anymore there so you you want to look for somewhere somewhere else to live so in my case I couldn't live in Syria anymore. I didn't want to come to Europe. I tried four other different countries in, in the Middle East. It didn't work for me there. So then naturally I moved to Britain in Europe. This sort of is staggeringly obvious when you think about it, but a lot a lot of people haven't. Why, you know, why did you come to the UK rather than one of 27 other European countries? You know, people tend to get a bit funny and go, well, we're right at the other side of it. Why, yeah. you know, why wouldn't you stop somewhere else? So, so this is this is such an important question because this is now what people recycle on the news. Oh, they're mm. safe in Greece, they're safe in Turkey, or like they're safe in France. And uh well, this is true. You are technically safe. You're not. You so, but w- you have to define the term safety because safety isn't just living um, uh, w- w- away from bombs and barrel bombs and guns. And, and 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 safety is also being with community. Safety is is being around your family. Safety is also living somewhere where you can look after like. Your, 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 your children and look after your mental health and, 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 and uh, start over, especially after you hit rock bottom. 
and according to the law, so so according to the UN Geneva Convention, you you are allowed to travel through safe countries and then claim asylum in Britain. This is legal. It's been it, 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 recently. People, it's mad how many people don't know that. Really. They don't know this. It's insane. It's, it's according. This is according to the international law. You can pass through any safe country and then come and live in Britain. Now, also another question is. Um, France for Brits is different for France for, for asylum seekers and migrants, because if you're a Brit, then, you know, South of France, you know, you know, Paris and Champs-Élysées and, you know, like, uh, you know, like the beautiful countryside of France, you don't know the camps in Northern, Northern France in, mm-hmm. in Calais and Dunkirk, what I, what I lived for two months. So yes, I, uh, uh, the, the tiniest percentage of asylum seekers and refugees and migrants since 2015 until now, made it to Britain because Britain is really hard to get to, and um, it's, it's it's expensive. It costs you money. For me, for me personally, it was all about literally. Like, imagine if you are to move from London to Bristol, um, you want to live somewhere where there are good schools and mm. easy to commute, and like maybe near a hospital. So that was the same thing. Like like any other human being, I want to start fresh. So let me find the best country for me. There's also like a little bit of a clue in, you know, what language are we speaking exactly. right now? Yeah. Like I, <laughs> I, did a, I did a degree in English. I mean, I, I studied English literature back home. So naturally, yes, I want to live somewhere where it's, I, it's easier for me to integrate. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. I want to talk about uh, just at this point, Has, because you were just saying, you know, your experiences in Calais as well and sort of like coming over here and, you know, the experience of being there. And two things that struck me when I got to Calais was one, actually three things. One was my own, and I consider myself to be, you know, relatively sort of left of center, open-minded person. But before I got to Calais for the first time, and I think it's really important to own this, I sort of felt that this dread, this fear, And I think it's really important to be honest about this because what I suddenly felt was that I was going to have, I was going to come into um, uh, uh, contact with some sort of, I don't know, hellscape that even though I don't read the Daily Mail and the Express and the Sun, I think I'd been quite conditioned by the front pages. And when you get there, I was, I felt so ashamed. I couldn't believe that I'd, I'd had this kind of, or subconsciously at least, I'd been a sort of a, a product of this conditioning. And there was a, there, when, when you sort of would go to the, the place that a lot of the, the, the charities and children, you know, uh, help refugees who, who were, you know, giving out food in the camp, there was a map. And the map had different areas for different nationalities, Eritrea, Iran, Afghanistan, Syria. And you realize that in a very, very real way, you know, Libya particularly, every place that we had dropped bombs, every country that we had meddled in, the vast majority of people, it, it, well, it destabilized the countries and they'd left. And there is that simple arithmetic that I do think most people in Britain don't want to look at. Why do you think they don't make that connection, Has? 
I think immigration will, will remain a toxic issue in Britain until Britain faces up to its colonial past, to be honest, and it's mm-hmm. to, 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 to its past and to, 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 to its dreadful past in, in, in dropping bombs on, on, on nations. And let's, I'm, I'm not going to go back to the Anglo-American invasion of Iraq. Mm-hmm. I'll, we'll talk about Yemen. Because yeah. Yemen is ongoing and it's still happening right now. And the, the Tories, they secretly lifted the ban on selling bombs to Saudi Arabia. And these bombs are being dropped on Yemen right now. And Yemenis, when they come now to claim asylum here, they are branded as invaders. Mm-hmm. So you, know, you, see, you see how like th- this whole thing is, is it's, it's just um, it's like the hypocrisy of it. To call people fleeing <laughs> British bombs invaders because they want to live here and then away from these bombs is bonkers. And also just on that invaders point, there's almost like a kind of cultural narrative here that's about the sort of reality of what we see in programs like Homeland, in, in programs that sort of have always pushed this idea that a guy with a beard who looks Muslim is a baddie. He's definitely a terrorist. He's got an evil intent. And these images have extremely powerful psychological repercussions for people consciously, subconsciously. And what I was trying to say with my experience of the camp is owning the fact that even though someone who might think of their, themselves as a bit woke can just as easily be psychologically affected yeah. by this stuff. Remember, right? when, remember when people were saying, uh, how come they have smartphones about refugees? Yeah. 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 So yeah, well, I was, I was going to pick this up to you actually. Like, I mean, people really think this, and again, I th- I think it's worth it's worth if if you don't mind taking a little bit of time to unpick it. You know, I hear I I've heard this from people when they debate it. Well, how can they be a real refugee? They've got a smartphone. They've got a degree. They're not desperate. They're not in need of coming here. That's clearly means they've got an ulterior motive. You know, how how can you be a refugee with a smartphone? Has and 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 have a designer bag because I also. Also said that that some refugees on dinghies were like they had designer bags and again <laughs> it's it's all it's it's you, you trace it back to, to ignorance pure ignorance because um when you say the word refugee to anyone most people sorry they would think that it's people who are poor and in rags and like they're fleeing because like they just want some money to and like some food to eat they don't know that and technically a refugee is someone like the definition of the world refugee is someone who cannot live in their home country anymore because their life is in danger to due to their political views or what, what any other reason. So they have to move somewhere else and, 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 and like live somewhere else. Now you could be a millionaire or a billionaire and you, you can also be a refugee. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not you, Hass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you've been keeping your billions from it. People probably have a pretty wrong idea of what Syria was like before the sort of civil mm-hmm. war kicked off, don't they? Like, it's it's a, a modern 21st century country. People, like, you, you know, especially, especially in Damascus, it's pretty middle class, right, Hass? So Damascus, yes. Um, Damascus, almost everyone was middle class, um, um, very cosmopolitan, especially in the last, like prior to the war, like seven or eight years before the war, before the revolution, which turned into a war, um, like um, private schools, uh, people can like, there are so many clubs and bars and restaurants mm. and like banks, private banks and, 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 uh, Not I French never, money, right? Like the Paris of the Middle East. There was like yeah. loads and loads of kind of yeah. And 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 I could not like personally, I would not have wanted to move anywhere else because it was this. I mean, it. it I have also to to explain that this was okay. So this was it was good to live in and like you know like it was 
everyone was well off and, and, and no one slept poor in Damascus. That's what everyone used to say. Like you don't go, you don't, sorry, no one slept hungry. You don't, you don't go to bed hungry in Damascus. Um, but it was still a totalitarian like, um, uh, country. So, you know, like that was on the surface, but like beneath the surface, there were these dungeons where they would d- detain and, 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 and torture people. But uh, again, like people are highly educated, like the university of Damascus is one of the oldest uh, universities in, in, in the Arab world. And, 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 and uh, had there not been a, a, a proxy war now where every country is, is bombing in Syria, it's no one had left, like no one would have left it people would have stayed. I remember in 2013, like the, or 2014, the emergence of ISIS, uh, everyone around me and like f- family and friends, everyone was like, where the, like, who the hell are these guys? Because they are so foreign to our culture and society because Syria is more on the Sufi side of Islam. It's, it's not, it's not on the, it's not on the Wahhabi, um, Wahhabism or like, um, um, like the, 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 I don't want to say extreme, but like the more religious side, the more conservative side. No, it's it's quite Sufi and it's quite like modern. It's like it's it's like a reformed Islam. Can we explain to people what this means a bit? Because a lot of people might not know about sort of Wahhabism and its sort of origins in sort of Saudi Saudi funded madrasas and how it was kind of pushed out with very extreme virulent with something of, with something of a self serving agenda from Saudi's ruling classes. Of course, right. yeah. this is what I mean. Yeah. Like, let's explain well, this. You know. Yeah. As far as I know, Wahhabism was created by Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab, and um, Saudi um, tried to export Wahhabism to, 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 to the world. And it's a more conservative version of Islam. Um, so in, in Bosnia and Afghanistan and in Pakistan, the influence of Wahhabism is great. Like they, they've, they managed to export it through their mosques that they built in these countries. Now in Syria, uh, Syria politically is only ruled by the Ba'ath Party. It's been ruled by the Ba'ath Party for the past four decades. And Islam, um, there was a Muslim, there was an uprising uh, in the 80s by the Muslim Brotherhood, um, um, which is like a, like a, a militarized uh, group of Muslims who basically wanted to get rid of the Ba'ath Party and Assad, uh, Assad's father, but they failed. And since then, Islam in Syria is quite like modern. It's like um, it's and it's it's on the Sufi side because what we like our rituals, um, what we do, and <clears throat> how we pray, and like where we pray, Wahhabis would say, "Oh no, this will take you to hell. Like you're not doing it properly." Mm. So it's a bit it's, like I mean, this is a, such a simplistic metaphor, but but it's a bit like you're Wahhabism. Going Protestant Catholic, aren't you? Well, no, yeah. I wasn't going to go Protestant Catholic. <laughs> I was going to say Wahhabism is a bit like people who believe absolutely in the Old Testament as being yeah. a historical document rather yeah. than some sort of metaphor. Yeah, yeah, and although and it's, it's tacked on quite a lot of extra culturally conservative bits that aren't necessarily integral or doctrinal or in the Quran, as I understand it. Yeah. And, 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 and Sufis, they basically, uh, they added teachings of scholars and imams. To, so they don't only rely on the Quran and the Hadith, the words of the prophet, they only rely on, 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 and then on scholars and imams and how they interpret the Quran and how they interpret Islam. And it's a, it's a cute version of it. It's a cute version of Islam, which I like actually. I mean, I'm, I'm, I still identify as Muslim because it's part of my identity I'm not practicing, but if, but I, I like my, my, my best version of Islam is the Sufi Islam. Cause it's very, it's the spiritual side of the religion. But I mean, this starts to get into the slight insanity of the great replacement as a theory. It's, it's not like 
Muslim countries are a monolith that all agree with each other or all have the same theology or all have like anything. It's sort of, it's, it's what interests me about this theory and that so many people believe it, but it really kind of relies on you seeing anyone who's brown and from the Middle East as basically cookie cuts of each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I've spent a very strange amount of time at EDL rallies. I've met Britain first. I've spoken to a lot of people there. And a lot of the time I'm ripping the piss out of them when I was doing it in character. But you do pick up stuff. And I think there's a real threatening element, which is a bit like a lot of the way that um, uh, America um, talked about um, slavery, and then the, 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 when when black people started, you know, getting the vote, they were sort of bestialized, and there was this kind of like animalistic quality that was given, particularly to black men, as sort of a, a threatening animal that would take your women away and and stuff. And I do think that there's a similarity with the kind of Hollywood terrorist villain, almost you know, perfectly personified in Team America. You know, when all the puppets are doka, 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 and they're running around. And there is something in this, you know, outbreeding us. It's sexualized, isn't it? What kicks behind it is quite interesting as well, in that if you ask people uh, how many people, like how, how much of the UK is Muslim, they think it's about a sixth to a fifth, like maybe about one in five people are Muslims. In reality, it's one in 20 people. Um, in France, it's less than 10% of the population and probably closer to 5%. It's There's a lot fewer Muslims in Europe than people who are bothered about there being too many Muslims think. It's kind of like, hey, we could have twice as many Muslims as we have now, but it would still be half as many as you think there are. Yeah. Like, you know, where it's like you're sort of so far away from the reality of it. The the birth rate in sort of British Asian families is slightly higher than in white British families, but not like radically. And so you've got essentially a small but actually quite long-standing and established British Muslim kind of population who just wants to get on with their own thing and might have slightly more kids. You could go like 20 generations and no one's replacing anyone. And also, why would we care if they were? Like, it's- I think that a lot of the kind of traditional hatreds come from these sort of really base psychological fears. And a lot of them are sexualized a lot of the time. A lot of them are sort of like these, these sort of threatening ideas and notions that then become sort of like football hooliganized. You know what I mean? In this kind of, because when you, when you go to a lot of these kind of right wing rallies and stuff like that is basically what you're facing. I mean, Hass, you've come across a lot of this and what, what do you think like psychologically lies at the base of it? I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you a, like a, a very short story, um, um, as an anecdote to answer your question. And, uh, w- w- when I came to Britain, I used to do quite a lot of like, um, talks at, at different venues of so pubs and bars and religious institutions and, and like everywhere, everywhere I can go. And I, are religious institutions yeah, <laughs> in like churches and mosques and everywhere. And once I did a talk, um, uh, I can't remember what the venue it was in, in London. 
And then after I finished the talk, this guy approaches me. He, he, he literally said that I've been like following you online for a while and I'm an active EDL member. And I, I, I intentionally came to this talk because I wanted to listen to you. Like, like I wanted to be in the same room as you are and, and listen to you. And I have only one question for you. And I said, what? And he said, why didn't you stay to fights in Syria? And I said, well, very good question. I didn't stay to fight because there are, because A, I don't, I don't like fighting. I don't believe in violence. And B, there are so many uh, groups, so you don't know who to fight for. And, um, and naturally, I just want to get on with my life. And he was like, thank you very much. And then literally three months later, he got in touch. He was um, volunteering in a refugee camp. Wow. And, and, and he, so this guy, um, he's never met a refugee in his life. That's, this is the problem here. That, uh, these people that you're talking about, they get their knowledge of refugees from, from tabloid papers, from what some figures say on social media like Nigel Farage. And they nev- they've never met one in, in life. But this guy, he basically did some effort to, to, follow, like, to follow me and like, listen to, to some of the talks and then come and attend that talk. And it kind of like changed his perspective. So my, my opinion, the solution is bringing people together because I, I may be naive or like too optimistic, but I don't think there are like people are predominantly evil, mm-hmm. you know, like they want people to actually sink in the sea as of some people comment online. And, 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 and if I literally, if I were to solve this, I would get, I would like get when COVID is done, get like a massive venue and like, a I don't know, it's like love Island, but you bring refugees and racists <laughs> oh my god there's pictures to channel four right now for, for them refugees and racists yeah. i'm here for it i mean that is that does sound like the next sort of uh, benefit street doesn't it just like just bound to happen also i should flag that's like literally the most uplifting thing i've heard in this entire goddamn year so oh, yeah, thanks for that true. That's true. actually genuinely cheering <laughs> so yeah I, I i think we just need honestly like it's just uh, I'm tired of people speaking on our behalf. I think refugees and migrants should should step 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 up if they can, share their stories, and and also like don't be afraid of like mixing with others and talk to them because you can. There are some good in in in, in no matter how bad people are, there are some good in them, and I think you can bring it out. I, I think it, it happened with me, and I think it it could happen with anyone. I mean, I, these very turbulent times we're living in. I think that what you also brought to the discussion nationally was the fact that I am here, I fled war, I'm now fighting your war for you, a war that many of you who claim to be patriots are literally too terrified to go anywhere near. And it was incredible to see the response because, I mean, obviously you've got, you know, some classic racist stuff, but generally the response of the British public to you, Hass, was, was overwhelming. Right. It was positive, overwhelming. Honestly, like what I got, is, it was literally overwhelming and it made me feel great, honestly. And uh, to be appreciated and like the way the public, like I, I'm now in the England, in England team, the, 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 the Lionheart squad. Right, don't rub it in. Right. <laughs> Just because you're getting sent England kits and get to meet Harry Kane and stuff. But it's, it's, it's actually, yes, it's, it's heartwarming. And what I, when I, I said it once in an interview and I, cause when I got asked the same question, it was like, why would you flee a war, your war to a country and fight this war here? Cause I, and I, without literally without thinking about it my words were because our nationality does not dictate our kindness when i when when covid hit britain technically london now is my home julian and and, and i 
And I, it's when I when I go on holiday, I actually miss London. I miss coming back. And I, and I don't think like when 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 that happened, I didn't think like I'm Syrian. These are English or like Londoners or whatever. It the, after we're all humans, you know. Like I know yeah, this is all people, right? Uh, yeah, we're all people, you know. Like and and and. Except some of us might be lizards, yeah. as we may cover in a future episode. Well, I think some of us are definitely lizards. Let's not, I mean, look, I'm not a crazy conspiracy theorist, but obviously shape-shifting lizards are actually dominating society. Do you know what I mean? And, it's obvious. But, but because we're talking about conspiracy theories, that even my story, Julian, some people made a conspiracy theory out of it. So, I know, this is what I wanted to finally rant it yeah, up with. This is amazing. So there was incredible feedback and like very overwhelming, but some people went online and like they they started writing like posts that Hassan Akkad is actually an actor paid by Soros. Crisis and, actor. And, 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 and I, I was so shocked when I saw it, but I was like, wow, like how easily, like, you know, like you read about conspiracy theories, but then suddenly I became a conspiracy theory. Amazing. Like people are saying he's he's a paid actor and he's. It would be people. a good role for you. It would be a good role for you. Like, what do you? What sort of motivation do you think you would bring to the part? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I tried the acting role. I sent like uh, self tapes to, to casting agents, but I never heard that. I'm, I'm actor. But but it's, it's it's actually amazing how like how quickly you, one can become a conspiracy theory because people. Like they don't think that general, like you know, like there's this common good, there's this common humanity where people actually step up and 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 help their communities. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's come to that time in the podcast where obviously we want to thank you know Hassan so much for being there, and I'd like to ask him absolutely straight: Is this a conspiracy theory or not, Hassan? Um, no. It's not. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's all true. I confession. <laughs> you know what? People will use that. They'll be like, and then at the end of the podcast, he surreptitiously decided to neg us by saying it was all true. No, I'm just going to be extremely clear. That's has being sarcastic. And yeah. no, this bizarre, batshit, crazy conspiracy theory is not true. It's not true. No. Like most things that come out of France, it should have stayed there. Wow. Look at that. And he didn't even vote leave. Listen, uh, we'll be back uh, next week on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Look, it really does make a difference to the old computer algorithm if you rate this podcast. So please go online, give it a five-star review, share it with your mum, your nan, your racist uncle, particularly your racist uncle, and make sure to join us next week. Thanks for joining us. See you soon.